Please turn to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John. The 12th chapter of the Gospel of John. I'm going to begin reading at verse 20 and read through verse 29. Verse 20, Now there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These therefore came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came, and they told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? I'm at a loss for words. I don't know what to pray. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, Glorify thy name. There came therefore a voice out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The multitude therefore who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. This sermon this morning is dedicated to the person or persons who feels that the weight of the whole world has been placed on his shoulders and he's too weary to trust and too tired to pray. In fact, he has prayed and prayed and he's exhausted his prayer life. And frankly, he doesn't know how to pray anymore. In fact, he's at a loss for words. If that person is you, then you're in good company. There was another who along the way felt the burden of the world on his shoulders. And he was at a loss for words. And do you, would you like to know who he was? His name was Jesus of Nazareth. Now that's quite a surprise to, to say that of him. In fact, we would expect that from anybody but him. We're not surprised when Job, that ancient man of suffering, said it. And one time he cried, Will you not pardon my iniquity? And will you not forgive my sin? If I have sinned against you, tell me what I have done. Why do you make me your target? We're not surprised when Job said it, or anybody else would say it. But it's a terrible shock. He come to this time in his life when he said, I don't know what. It's an even greater shock to 
understand the tense of the verbs that had been happening all along. This was a continuing state or condition. He had been dealing with a long time, and he had been praying about a long time. I think all of us know what that burden was. It was the burden that didn't begin in Galilee, didn't begin in the little city of Nazareth, didn't even begin. Fruit was echoing in the garden. Jesus was leaving for Calvary. Father, about this burden for a long time. And now came this one event, affected him in the brutalist way. For these Jews, she was more uh, kind of out, uh, detached from the, from the center of Jerusalem. Jesus knew that the only way they would see him was that he would be willing. The only way they would see him would be that he would come to the place where he would lay down his life for them. And he'd been struggling with this all of the years of his life. What shall I say? What shall I pray? I'm at a loss for words. I suppose that everybody has, has experienced that. You may not have verbalized it, but you probably felt it. The surgeon comes out of those double doors and you're standing there waiting for his report. Your heart is pounding. And you're looking for every indication of hope from him, but you see in the seriousness of his eyes that the word is not good. And slowly he takes off his surgical map and tenderly he says to you, well, he has an inoperable cancer. We've done everything we can. There is no other, nothing else we can do. And you're standing there trying to find words, but there are none. They just kind of stick in your throat. And while everybody else stands there in the silence around you, you kind of lean up against the wall and try to find some prayer to pray, but there is none. Or a spouse comes in and says to you one day, I don't love you anymore, there's somebody else, and I want a divorce. At first there is rage and feelings of rejection and you want to say something but you can't. There are no words to say. And you try to pray, but what are you going to pray in a situation like this? Or you've just turned away from the burial place of the most significant person that has ever been in your life. And people are around you trying to say words of encouragement and you try to respond to them. But you don't have anything to say. You're at a loss for words. And as you get in your car and head home, you try to find some prayer to pray. But you don't know what to pray. You've been praying about this for so long. Your prayers are empty. That sound like anybody you know? Well, there is something that is appropriate to pray in a time like this. Regardless of the circumstances in which you find yourself, there is something appropriate to pray. It's a four-letter, four-word prayer. Father, glorify your name. Three things I need to say about that. First, when you pray that prayer, there is immediate security. Now I want you to notice how he begins the prayer. He begins with the word Father. He doesn't say, oh, impersonal force that guides the universe. He doesn't even say, oh, God. He just says that word that such, has such security, Father. I think sometimes we've forgotten an important person in the Godhead of the Trinity. There is God the Son, that is Jesus. There is God the Holy Spirit, the other Jesus. Sometimes I think we neglect and forget about the Father. 
It's what Jesus came to, re- to do to reveal the Father. And He taught us this important aspect of God. He's like a father. And He said, whenever you pray, you need to call Him Father. It's like a child coming to his father and asking for that which he knows he can count on from his father. He taught us to call Him Father. A couple of things about that. It means in the security of that prayer that you know that the Father controls and the Father cares. The psalmist had said it years before. He said, as a father pitieth his children, even so pitieth I, even so I pity those who fear me. Speaking for God. Now there's a lot I don't know. Einstein once said, we don't know one millionth part of a, of, of a percent about anything. That's pretty ignorant. Merton, the great Franciscan monk, said, the essence of what we know is just a fraction of the essence of what is. There are a lot of things I don't know. I'm constantly reminded of that. I used an illustration the other day from physics. A guy came up to me after the service and said, better stop using those illustrations about physics. You don't know anything about it. <laughs> well, that's true. And there are a lot of things I don't know about God, but I do know what it means to love a child. Having three children of my own, I can identify, I can, I can feel what is in that word, like a father pitieth his children, even so the Lord pities those who fear him. I do understand and know what that means. And I know a little bit better about what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when He was talking to us about the Father. He said, let no man on earth call another father. Now He wasn't against fathers. He just realized our imperfections. And He knew that there was only one real father and that even though we love our children and we have a great concern and care for them, we could not provide all the love and the care in every moment that they need in this earth. There's only one who can do that. That's the Heavenly Father. And so when Jesus prayed this prayer, Father, He was giving us a sense of security. He was saying you can place your destiny in the hands of the one who loves you and controls all that ever happens to you. Now, I'm not much into astrology. In fact, I'm not anything into astrology. Some of you might be. So you get up in the morning and you open up your newspaper to find out what's going to happen to you today. And you check it all out. And I'm not so naive to know that there are forces in this universe unseen that guide the planets in their orbits. I know that there are unseen forces that have an effect upon this world in which we live, but I'm here to tell you a strong conviction. My destiny is not in the hands of the stars or in some impersonal force. My my destiny is in the hands of the Father who controls the stars in their course. A long time ago, those old movie plots, you know, they had the same plot. Most of the time it was about some person who was kind of poor and they didn't know it, but they were the heir of some glorious inheritance. They just needed to find their father. On the other hand, here was this father who 
knew he had a child somewhere and he was searching for that child in the dark and lonely days and nights. And then the plot begins to develop and they find one another and she finds her father and she finds this wonderful inheritance that's hers just when she discover who her, discovers who her father is. One day our Greek professor at Hardin-Simmons University came in. He was a sweet guy. His name was Ellis, Dr. Ellis. He said, before we begin our class this morning, I want us to pray. He said, I had a young lady visit me this morning in my office, and she came in, and she told me the story. She was raised by her mother. She said, I don't even know who my father is. He said, she began to sob and, and said this. He said, this profound statement. She said, every child has a right to know who his father is. The theme of this book is that there is this heavenly Father. To know Him, to discover Him, to follow Him is to find the security of life. Father, glorify Your name. There is security in that. Secondly, there is submission in that prayer. Now Jesus said, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Well, should I say, Lord, deliver me from this? Let me tell you, that's the way I would pray. That's the way you would pray. Well, Jesus said, what I pray, save me from this hour, when that's the very purpose of my life. Would I say, save me from this hour, when this hour of death is why I'm here? I think we need to understand right up front what is the main business of living, what is the main purpose of life. If you're one who says the world doesn't make me happy, it's good to remember that the world wasn't created to make you happy. The world was created to make Him happy, to glorify God. If you're one of those who says it isn't what I th would like for it to be, it's a good thing to remember. It, it isn't to be what you would like it to be. It's so it will be like He would like it to be to glorify the Father. Well, you see, God didn't create us so that we could eat, drink, and be merry. He created us to glorify God. And when we get all of this in perspective and we understand that it is God and not us who is the center of this creation and that God has not created us for our purposes but for His, it's easier for us to pray a prayer like this, Father, glorify Thy name. You see, the main business of life is to glorify the Father. Now, how, how far are you willing to pray that prayer? What if you're saying this morning, Father, I want to glorify your name, and the Father says to you in your heart, well, do you want that if it means six months in a hospital, completely flat of your back? Are you willing to go on with that prayer? Or what if it means that you're going to give up some of your own ambitions and, and desires and plans for the future, for Him? Are you willing to go on with that prayer? There's a lot of things going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. Who's going to be president, who, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm of a strong conviction that the devil doesn't care what we do in the Southern Baptist Convention as long as we don't do the main thing. 
And the, and, and the devil doesn't care what you and I do in this life as long as we don't do the main thing. And the main thing is to glorify God. Now what does that mean to glorify Him? What would it mean this morning? Listen to me. What would it mean if I suddenly found my Father and I began to follow Him? If I can trust the prosperity preachers that I see on television, that means if I follow the Lord, I'm going to be rich and successful and healthy for the rest of my life. I don't believe that. It may mean if I follow Him, it may mean the rest of my life in tears. Well, that's what happened to Jeremiah. All he did was cry for the rest of his life. And if I find and follow my Father, it may mean that He leads me down a path of denial and suffering and sacrifice that I have never experienced before. That's, that may be what it means. And so that Polish pastor was arrested by the Soviet goons and they said to him, Sir, if you preach again, we're going to kill you. He said, Well, if I die and that glorifies God, so be it. For your main weapon is killing. My main weapon is dying. My main weapon is dying. Now, I don't know what it means for me to pray, what it would mean for me, where the path would be if I prayed this prayer and I really mean it. Father, glorify thy name. Jesus certainly knew what that meant. It meant that in a few hours they'd carry him out to a cross and nail him on it. And that was his prayer. Father, glorify thy name. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that Jesus wants us to understand that we just need to sign a blank check and let God fill in the amount. Father, glorify thy name. There is submission in that. And there is, sub, there is significance in it. Security, submission, significance. I think there are two words here that are uh, understood that are not there. And, and you can add them if you want to write them in, in the margin of your Bible. It would be this, Father, glorify your name. And just add these two words, in me. I'm here to tell you this morning that the most significant life that's lived is the life in whom God is glorified. Now there is a life of power and some men crave that life. And there is a life of prosperity and there are people who are extremely wealthy. And there is a life of pleasure and some people live for the satisfaction of their desires. There is a life of significance. That's the life in whom God is glorified. Hudson Taylor's father was an aristocrat in Britain. He had two sons. He wanted these sons, he wanted one of them to be a doctor, he wanted the other to be a lawyer. One son was named Charles Taylor, the other son was named Hudson Taylor. Charles Taylor followed his father's desire. He was the older brother. He followed his father's desire, the dream of his father. He became a lawyer. 
one of the most successful students in Britain studying for law. And his other son, Hudson, followed his father's desire. He entered med school. He was going to be a physician, a, a surgeon. But all the time, Hudson Taylor felt the call of God upon his heart for missions. And one day he came in and he told his father, he said, Father, I'm going to drop out of med school. I'm going to become a missionary, a foreign missionary. His father disowned him. He thought he was a failure. He thought he was a disgrace to his name. And while he turned from the, uh, his affection from his son, Hudson Taylor, he lavished all of his affection on Charles, his son, who was studying to be an attorney, a lawyer. And Hudson Taylor went to China, and he poured his life into missions. He started the China Inland Empire mission. And he became a southern, he became a evangelical missionary to China. After a number of years, these two men died. There is in Britain, in the archives, a volume of books that describe the, the life, the history of great men of Britain. You go there today and you turn and look through the ages and you come to the name Hudson. There's the name Charles. It has one entry in it. This entry is older brother of militant missionary Hudson Taylor. And if you look on down to the H's, Hudson Taylor, if you look on down to Hudson Taylor, you'll read this. Two and a half pages describing the life of this significant man. That's what Jesus meant when he said, if you love your life, you lose it. If you lose your life, you find it. It's like a grain of wheat. If, you, if it abides alone, it's just a grain of wheat. But if it falls into the ground and dies, it becomes fruitful. And the life that's lived to glorify God is the life that has significance. Our Father, like Paul to the Gentile, like Philip to the eunuch, we would be your instrument, healing and mending like a plow in the weathered hand, an instrument of noble purposes, honed and tuned, touch. Lord, this is our prayer. Shape me by your hands. Amen.